The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Certainly, we continue today to look at the reaction to EPA's announcement of how they're going to handle the uh, the RFS uh, policy moving forward, how they're going to go about uh, dealing with uh, uh, the, the small refinery exemptions and uh, the whole issue over lost gallons, a lot of concern, a lot of people very upset about this. We're going to hear from the biofuels industry today. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. We're going to hear from the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. And we'll also talk about this issue with University of Illinois ag economist, Scott Irwin. We start there today. Our first guest is the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen. Donnell, obviously, this is a lot different than the October 4th announcement that had uh, the biofuels industry optimistic. Uh, but even then, there were lingering questions. It seemed like it put a lot still in the lap of EPA. And based on the history of EPA when it comes to the RFS, that left um, room for concern, kind of some red flags. And we saw that come to fruition, really, in this latest announcement. What, what's your reaction to it? Well, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, kind of our suspicions that we had back in early October have come to uh, fruition. You know, we were very suspect about this EPA uh, willingly carrying out the, the, the orders of the president, quite frankly. The deal uh, that was fabricated back in early October that the biofuels industries collectively, ethanol, biodiesel, renewable diesel, all embraced was a great deal to grow biodiesel, renewable diesel, and ethanol going forward. That's not what the EPA uh, released uh, yesterday as part of their rule. Okay, now this is a question I've been wrestling with and asking all th- throughout all this, and that is, is this at the feet of the president or EPA? Is this the EPA not doing what the president wants them to do, or are they playing good cop, bad cop on us here, where uh, the president says positive things in his support of the biofuels industry, then then the EPA becomes the bad cop and does something, is it on their own, or or, or how do you how do you view this? I mean, I, I it just seems to me at some point, if you're the president, you step in and say, this is what I want, do it. Well, that's exactly what we thought uh, back on October 4th, you know, after having a conversation directly with the president about that. That's, again, why the industries felt strongly about coming out and supporting and thanking the presidents for his intervention on this issue. But then we fast forward a couple of weeks, and the EPA has decided to kind of play word games and and, uh, play games with this whole process. And so where the president was very clear in his intention uh, of how to how the industry would go about growing and how the RFS would support that, the EPA has again inserted uncertainty into that whole process. The president even upped the uh, the expectation 
by throwing out a figure that we could be up to 16 billion gallons. And then the EPA comes along basically saying 15 billion is really no longer guaranteed. We've lost what you were after, right, the integrity of the 15 billion. Well, exactly. And again, on where you're talking to uh, the biodiesel industry here. So the 15 billion gallons, that is an ethanol uh, mandated volume. And so the ethanol industry has fought very hard to, to keep that as, as their target and their goal. Uh, on the biodiesel side of things, though, we've we've totally been lost in this conversation uh, from from the conversation we had with the president, where biodiesel and renewable diesel were specifically addressed, to now where the EPA has, is saying nothing about our volumes. And the main goal again is these small refinery exemptions that are being given out just recently over the last three years. So it's all under this administration's responsibility. They've changed. The EPA has changed that process. They've been giving them out. Uh, hand over fist. And so the, the idea is if you want to give those out, fine, but those volumes need to make their way back into the final rule. That's the goal. That's the, the agreement we had with the president. That is not what this proposed rule that the EPA has released will do. Yeah, that's, that's what I was uh, going after there on, on that 16 or 15 billion. The reason that it's the integrity of the 15 billion is lost is because of more uh, exemptions without reallocating lost gallons. It's those exemptions, as you pointed out, that have hurt the biodiesel industry tremendously. Absolutely. We, as we've said along, we keep uh, getting lost in this conversation, you know, especially as things turn to this uh, conversation about 15 billion gallons. But the biodiesel gallons are going, are going to be the first gallons lost when the RFS is cut back. It's just the way the RFS is built with the nested nature. It's a complicated thing, but as the market makes decisions on how it's going to comply, where these REN compliances are going to come from, biodiesel is going to be the first one out, and, and everybody recognizes that. So it's especially important to our industry to return the integrity to the RFS and to make sure that all the volumes in, in there, not just the 15 billion gallons, but in our case, the 2.43 billion gallons of, of biomass-based diesel is the number, and it cannot be cut back then by future uh, small refinery exemptions. What's the next step in this? Well, the fight is on. I mean, uh, I think it's very obvious from the press the renewable fuels industry is in an uproar. Uh, there was uh, obviously the promises that were made and accepted. Uh, those are not, well, that's not what has been executed by this EPA. Uh, so I, I think all of our champions as well, you see, uh, are up in arms about how it got to this point whenever the deal that was negotiated in the Oval Office uh, with the president is not even close to the deal that the EPA has put together through this rule. So uh, we will continue our, our uh, conversations and try to change that before uh, it becomes final. Yeah, there is a rulemaking process. Uh, how much – how – What's your opportunity to weigh in between now and, what, late November? Well, the EPA has, as always, scheduled a public hearing. They've scheduled that in Ypsilanti, Michigan, uh, which is not very convenient to those of us in the Midwest who uh, rely on this biofuels industry for jobs and, and uh, you know, ag benefits and stuff. But anyway, that's scheduled here later this month. Uh, November 30th is the typical deadline for finalizing the rule for the RVOs on an annual basis. Um, it's likely that that date will have to slide because of this supplemental rule. 
but that hearing will be the next opportunity to publicly, for the public, to publicly weigh in on what the EPA is proposing here. So we have a chance to, we will have a chance to do that as others will, and we hope the results of that will be uh, for the administration and the EPA to go back to the drawing board. All right, Donnell, thank you very much. As you said, the fight is on. Uh, this is a, a critical time for the biofuels industry, and uh, this uh, this supplemental plan is certainly a step backwards in this process, so hopefully we can get the things moving forward again soon. Thank you very much, Donnell. We appreciate your input. Thank you, Mike. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Yeah, the biofuels industry feels uh, misled. This is this announcement this week is not what they were led to believe would be coming when they uh, had a meeting back on October 4th and got that announcement from uh, the White House. So we'll get more reaction to this later. We'll talk with the president of the National Corn Growers. We'll talk with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next with some analysis of this is Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. He'll weigh in next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, joining us now is Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. Uh, Scott, I want to talk uh, about the crop um production or the lack thereof in some cases because of the weather here in a little in a little bit but i'm going to start with your reaction to the uh, epa announcement uh concerning the supplemental plan on the rfs because the biofuels industry is up in arms over this what's your reaction well it's um it's a very tricky uh change of course for the epa if they do everything that they say they're committing to do in the proposal, then 15 billion gallons in 2020 will be 15 billion gallons. The problem is doing what they say they're going to do is a complete reversal of their policy of how they've implemented SREs uh, for the last three years. And they're saying, oh, we're just going to slam the brakes, and we're going to do things completely differently and trust us um, going forward uh, to do this big reversal in policy. And I think that's, you know, the heart of uh, the problem right now. Well, let's look at this politically. I can't imagine why the White House would feel comfortable with an agency going to make an announcement that is a reversal from what the White House basically said was going to happen earlier this month and put at risk the support uh, throughout much of the president's base in the in the heartland. 
Right. Um, you know, I have no idea what's been going on in the background, but uh, from a political standpoint, you know, the ag side thought that they had a clear deal. They thought that they understood the numbers. They expected the reallocation to be 1.35 billion gallons at a minimum for 2020. And then EPA comes up with this uh, kind of Rube Goldberg scheme that halves the reallocation number. Um, what it really shows, Mike, is just how much the refiners are in the driver's seat at the EPA, even to the point that, um, you know, their political types have to know the kind of damage that this would do politically, and they obviously just don't care because they are basically 100% beholden to the refiners at this point. I think you and I talked about this after that October 4th announcement. The red flag in that announcement was how much was still put in the hands of EPA to make decisions on this, and now we're seeing uh, why those were such great concerns. Exactly. I mean, um, you know, this is – and even if you read the proposal carefully, uh, it's very sneaky. It says – we intend to do this, we think we'll do this, but no guarantees. And the key is, for this to all work out, the, what the EPA has to do is when they issue the 2020 SREs, and that'll be all the way in 2021, they have to follow the pattern of partial waivers that the Department of Energy, or DOE, recommended from 2016 through 2018, there's a pattern that, that's secret because nobody has the data. Uh, and, the EPA, and then the EPA has to follow that to the letter all the way out in 2021 for this to work out as it's supposed to. I mean, that is a big, big if. I've seen some criticism of this even from the oil industry, which, you know, I would think, some kind of scratch your head and say, why are they upset with it? Well, they want the total elimination of the RFS, don't they? Yes. I mean, that's not even, I think, a controversial statement to make. Um, it's very clear the U.S. refining industry it has been and will continue to do everything in its power to kill the RFS. That is, without a doubt, um, their goal. I've been in meetings. I've listened to them. And this is clearly what they want to do. There are some in Congress now proposing basically replacing the RFS with higher octane requirements. And I've already heard that some of the ethanol industry say, well, those what they're proposing for those uh, higher limits would not be higher enough to make sure that, uh, you know, it requires enough use of, of ethanol. What are your thoughts about that approach uh, in, in place of the current RFS? You know, I haven't studied that in great detail, um, but uh, all I all you need to know is where those kind of proposals are coming out. They're coming out of the uh, refining side or the non-ag, at least the non-ag side of this debate, which means when you dig into it, I expect that those numbers for usage would be lower than the current RFS. Although I believe one of those uh, supporting that is uh, retiring congressman from Illinois, John Shimkus. Well, right, but he's been an opponent of the RFS from the get-go. 
Right. Even though he's from Illinois, a big ethanol and corn growing state. All right. So we'll see where this plays out. Uh, there's still we wait for final uh, uh, word at the end of November about RVO levels and things like that. But obviously, there's a lot of concern about this. We're talking with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, want to switch over to this harvest and, and production prospects. Uh, the weather has certainly uh, put another uh, strike against uh, the crops this year. Uh, the the freeze, the snow, uh, the the challenging conditions. Uh, what do you think this means as far as a production number? Whenever we get to that final number, right? Um, you know, I think that probably the minimum total damage from on corn from the freeze uh, across a large segment of the corn belt and the ongoing. Uh, blizzard-related problems up in North Dakota, part of Minnesota, part of South Dakota. Uh, I think that's going to drop total production by a minimum of 250 million bushels of corn. Uh, Soybeans are very hard to get a real handle on. I I think there'll be some significant losses, freeze-related losses and production-related losses, particularly in in North Dakota. Um, So that's what I'm looking at. What are you making of the early harvest results now where we're at throughout uh, central Illinois? We've been able to get more harvesting done than a lot of other places. Uh, what do you? What are your thoughts and what you're hearing as far as uh, some early numbers? Well, what uh, for the uh, earlier planted uh, crops here in Illinois, so that would be late April to uh, late May. That's what we considered early this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hearing basically the corn is down uh, five to ten percent in general. There are some exceptions. There there are some good corn yields out there, but that's the general trend that that I'm seeing. And beans uh, down that much or more, um, in particular because the soybean yields last year in Illinois were so phenomenal. Um, so I think. Um, I expect the USDA's latest numbers for the statewide average yields in Illinois to come down even a little bit more. Yeah, I always say you have to put it in context. If you compare this with last year, it was probably going to be down anyway because last year was such a tremendous year, but uh, it stands out even more with the problems of this year. Finally, uh, your thoughts on are you optimistic after uh, what was announced last week on China and some questions have been raised about how sound a deal that is or what they'll actually do. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I've, you know, as you know, we've talked a number of times about this. Um, I'm always skeptical, and I think that that skepticism is being rewarded right now. It's very clear that the uh, Chinese are dangling some very large purchases of agricultural goods uh, in front of the president, but um, I don't think that they're going to sign off uh, to actually proceed on a path towards larger uh, purchases unless they get something that they really want in return, which is a lowering, not just we're not going to raise tariffs more in the future, they want to start ratcheting them down, and I, I'm, I'm not very optimistic that the president's going to bite on that. 
Yeah, that's really what it seems to come down to, uh, whether or not we're going to budge on those tariffs or not, so we will see. Scott, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Uh, Always my pleasure, Mike. Take care. University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Well, coming up next, more reaction to this EPA plan for the RFS. As you might expect, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, not real happy with this announcement. We'll get his thoughts next. Then later, the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross from Iowa, weighs in as well. Stay with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Touching new highs an hour into the day in wheat, corn, and soybeans, trending higher as well. China intends to increase its purchases of U.S. agricultural goods, that according to a spokesman from China's Ministry of Commerce. But the agreement said to be still tentative and unfinished, according to a story from the South China Morning Post on Thursday. November's WASDE report will include a resurvey of harvested acres of corn and soybeans in Minnesota and North Dakota following that snowstorm that hit last weekend, according to USDA. That November 8th report could show bigger cuts to production and yields as well. In soybeans, new crop November, an hour into the day, 11 and a half higher at 9.39 and a quarter. January up 11 at 9.53 and a quarter. December corn up four and a half at 3.96 and a quarter. March at 4.07 and a half. That's up four cents. Minneapolis spring wheat December up six and a half at 557. March up six and a half at 570 and three quarters. Chicago wheat December up 12 at 525 and a half. Kansas City wheat December up seven and a quarter at 432 and a quarter cent. For livestock at the American Live Cattle Futures, December steady money at 113.87. February down 12 cents at 119.47. Feeder cattle, November, down 90 at 145.02. January, 141.32. That's down a dollar five. Lane hog futures, December, down a dollar 55 at 69.07. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 101. NASDAQ up 50. S&P up 17. November crude oil down 32 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Joining us now is the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, obviously a lot has changed from the October 4th RFS announcement to to where we're at now. Describe your 
your feelings and your thoughts about uh, where we're at now and and the course that EPA plans to take. Well, thanks, Mike, and, and you're right. A lot can change in about 10 days' time, and, and, you know, here we go. Round and round we go with EPA again. I mean, we, we had a deal uh, that the president had promised that his EPA was going to follow the law in implementing the RFS in 2020, and that means when, when the number 15 billion gallons uh, gets published as the requirement for 2020, that that's what's actually going to be enforced. And there's a mechanism to do that uh, within the regulation, and, and we were all expecting and, and understanding that uh, the deal was going to be 15 billion gallons means at least 15 billion gallons in 2020. Uh, that's the deal that farmers agreed to. That's the deal that corn state senators agreed to back in September. That is not the deal that EPA announced and, and rolled out uh, earlier this week when they when they published their proposal. And the president even upped the expectation or the hopes even more by saying it could be $16 billion, and now basically with this plan you can't even be assured of fifteen. Uh, that's that's exactly right, Mike, and and we were very encouraged. And and again, um, you know, that the the, uh, the comment by the president that we could see up to 16 billion gallons uh, was consistent with conversations that had been had in in September and, and late part of August. Uh, so you know, again, this proposal is not consistent with those commitments. It's it's not consistent with the promises that were made, and we're very concerned that that this proposal, if it's finalized. Uh, could lead to the actual enforced RFS volumes being below 15 billion gallons again, and that's the very problem that this whole proposal and the whole deal was meant to resolve. So uh, this doesn't get us out of the out of the quagmire uh, that we've been in for the past few years, and and really it boils down to, you know, how EPA is is projecting uh, the volume of exemptions that it thinks it will grant in in 2020, and and the analogy that I've used is is, look, if, if Larry Bird scores 30 points in three straight games, are you going to assume that he's only going to score 15 points in the fourth game? Uh, you know, of course you're not. Uh, but that's exactly what EPA is, is doing here, is saying, oh, we know what exemptions have been for the past three years, uh, but we're going to ask you to trust us, and, and uh, we're going to project that we're only going to give out half as many exemptions in 2020. Uh, and I'm sorry, but there's just not that uh, that level of trust uh, with EPA today after what we've been through the past few years. And along those lines of what EPA would, they seemingly ignore Department of Energy recommendations on on That's waivers, right. but yet but yet now they're they're kind of kind of pretending or assuming. Well, let's let's just say we did go by that, and now we'll use that uh, for guidance in the future. That makes it even more frustrating. Well, that, that, that's the real irony and, and just kind of the insult to injury uh, with this proposal is, is EPA is saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to base our 2020 exemption projection on the average exemption volume that was recommended by DOE for the last three years. Uh, and the flaw in that is that EPA always ignored DOE's recommendations. We've been after them for years to, to pay attention to what DOE is saying on these exemption requests, and they never have. Uh, they've always ended up granting about twice as many exemptions as recommended by DOE. Uh, but now when it comes time to, to look forward and, and kind of project or anticipate what they're going to do, uh, they want to fall back on, on these DOE recommendations. And, and we just think that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, we, we spent 
uh, an entire year pleading with EPA and the White House to rein in the abuse of, of this small refiner exemption program. And, and how did they respond? Well, they came out on August 9th, uh, ignored all our pleas and requests, and they granted another 31 full waivers. Uh, that, that meant another 1.3 billion gallons of lost RFS demand. And, and so now they're asking us to just take a leap of faith and trust that they are going to rein the program in and, and listen to DOE and follow those recommendations from the Department of Energy in 2020. And, and we're just not there. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, I mentioned this earlier. It almost feels like a good cop, bad cop situation. The president comes out and says one thing, very supportive of uh, biofuels, and then EPA comes along and does something different. Uh, I, I don't understand, I guess, why at this point, if the president really wants these things to happen that he says are going to happen for farmers and for biofuels, why he just doesn't tell EPA, this is what you have to do. I'm the boss here. Well, I, you know, honestly, Mike, I think that's that's what has happened is the, is the president has told EPA, um, look, I, I cut a deal with uh, the, the senators from, from these corn states. Um, and, and, you know, the deal was we're going to start following the law on, on the RFS moving forward beginning in 2020. Um, and he directed EPA to, to take the steps and, and write the regulations uh, to make sure that that, that happens. Um, but, but EPA just, it seems like, they, you know, they can't help themselves. They've they got to figure out a way to try and put a poison pill in any, anything that would be good for uh, the ethanol industry, anything that would be good for uh biofuel producers and and so we end up with um you know this kind of half-baked uh proposal that that fakes it that you know that fakes that it's uh honoring the commitment that the president made uh but when you really look at it in in detail you, you see that it doesn't you know it only goes halfway there uh and doesn't get us out of the mess that we're in so there does continue to be this severe disconnect between the oval office and EPA. And, uh, you know, we feel like EPA just continues to undermine uh, the statements and commitments that the president is making on the RFS, on biofuels. Uh, and that, you know, that, that is uh, obviously hurting uh, the image and, and reducing the level of support uh, for this administration uh, amongst a very key constituency in, in the Midwest. And so uh, it's, it's a problem. And, and, you know, we've got to get it fixed. It surprises me that he he continues to allow that to happen. I mean, this this is now two administrators of that agency that this has gone on. That, that's right, and I, I think part of the problem, uh, Mike, is you know uh, the, the, the President Trump is a busy guy. He's got a lot of other things to to worry about and a lot of other issues uh, to address, uh, and so you know he 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 assumes that uh, his directive is being followed and that uh, his guidance is being. Uh, adhered to, uh, and then when he finds out that that hasn't been the case, uh, you know, he, he calls EPA on the carpet, and EPA uh, tells him, well, look, Mr. President, that's just the, you know, the farmers and the ethanol guys whining again and, and wanting more, um, and, and so we've got this, you know, this, this uh, breakdown in, in communication and in reality uh, between EPA and the, and the White House, and it's causing some real challenges for our industry. Yeah, the, well, the White House heard about it before, and I'm sure you're gonna, you and the others in your in biofuels industry will make sure they hear about it again. Hey, I wanted to ask you this, Jeff, while I have you, uh, what about this proposal to basically replace the RFS with higher octane uh, levels? Uh, what are your thoughts on that approach? 
Well, we, we did see uh, uh, Congressman Chimkus and, and, and Flores uh, reintroduce a, a bill this week that they introduced last year at, at the end of the last Congress um, that would, uh, you know, eliminate the RFS in 2023 and effectively replace it with a, a higher octane gasoline requirement, a, a 95 Ron octane requirement is, is what it's called. Um, look, we, we, we love the idea of higher octane fuels. Uh, ethanol is the highest octane, lowest cost octane source on the, on the market today. It's all the, also the cleanest and best from a human health uh, standpoint. Um, so we, we do feel like the ethanol industry has much to gain from a higher, ethyl, or a higher octane requirement in our gasoline. Uh, however, you know, we're, we're concerned that this proposal uh, doesn't raise that octane level you know, high enough uh, to really capture the benefits of ethanol's octane. We think refiners could meet a 95 RON requirement uh, with more hydrocarbons, uh, more aromatics, things that are, that are bad for human health. Um, and, and forego the use of, of, of using more ethanol, and we think they could probably meet that requirement with an E10-type gasoline, which is what we have in the marketplace today, without really using more ethanol. And so that's why the RFS remains important. Um, our position has been, great, let's do a higher octane requirement, absolutely. And if it's 95, Ron, that's, that's an okay place to start. Let's do that on top of the RFS. There's no reason uh, to, to kill off uh, the, the demand floor uh, that the RFS gives us, uh, let's put the 95 RON requirement on top of the RFS. Would would be you know would be supportive of that. How high would the octane level requirement have to be to assure uh, the use of ethanol or increased use of ethanol, like in the RFS? Well, we think you know based on everything the automakers have told us, everything uh, that the Department of Energy uh, laboratories have told us, uh, that the, the best spot to be in terms of octane is 98 ron uh which would be you know if you pull up to the pump today you see premium gasoline at, at a 91 or 93 aki a, a 98 ron fuel would be about a 95 aki aki octane fuel at at retail so higher octane than even premium today um and you know the researchers tell us that you can get there with about a e25 or e30 type blend put that in a high compression ratio engine that's turbocharged uh, and it produces phenomenal results. It reduces emissions of, of CO2, reduces tailpipe pollution emissions of particulate matter and, and other nasty stuff. Uh, it's lower cost um, and you get the same mileage. That's, that's the real thing that surprises people is you get you know the same volumetric mileage out of a gallon that you get with E10. Jeff, as always, good to talk with you and uh, we'll be talking more about this I know in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. 
Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, we've been hearing from the biofuels industry about this uh, proposed plan by EPA for the RFS. What are your thoughts? Well, Mike, there's uh, you know a lot of different factors that uh, go into this this decision on uh, uh, that they came out with. But I'll tell you, uh, it certainly was disappointing with. Um, with what we thought was agreed to, um, and what we what we know was agreed to, I guess I should say, uh, in the calculation of the um, you know of the wave gallons at EPA, and so um, you know it's disappointing that that, uh, that we've got to go through this um, and and hopefully get this try to you know fixed at the comment period, um, but we're going to do our best to continue to work through this and uh, and, and try to get this right. Do you feel misled on this? Uh, I feel like uh, you know. I feel like that that uh, Mr. Wheeler there at EPA, um, you know, definitely uh, definitely didn't come through with what the plan was that um, that we were working towards, as well as what was agreed to. And that, you know, I think um, I think from that perspective, you could say that uh, yeah, misleading is uh, one of the feelings. It's uh, uh, a little bit of a feeling of uh, just disappointment, a little bit of anger, but uh, um, again, you know, we've got work to do. We've got uh, we got to let them understand, uh, you know, or help them understand why we're we we're working off that average. You know, if we could have trusted EPA to have used the DOE um, Department of Energy recommended recommended wave gallons before, uh, if we actually saw them use those recommended um, recommendations out of DOE, then this conversation is probably far different. But they have not, you know, have not used those numbers. And so, therefore, it's really tough to take them at their word that this is how they're going to, you know, how they're going to use that calculation going forward. And that's, um, you know, it goes back to, I guess, a mistrust factor at EPA and and, uh, what what they've done to us before. Well, they're kind of winning it both ways because now they're saying, well, let's pretend we did use those numbers and kind of go from there. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> again, they're, they're asking you to trust them now, but they haven't demonstrated in the past that, that, that we should be able to do that. So uh, a little frustrating. And, and um, you know, again, we'll continue to work through this. We've got our comment period. We've got a hearing in, uh, I believe it's October 30th in, uh, in Michigan that, uh uh, that I'm sure I'll be at, along with a whole lot of other people uh, voicing their opinions on this. And then there's a, a time after that to make sure that we're we're getting loud and vocal again uh, on this issue that uh, we just can't quite seem to get fixed. Um, and uh, you know, this issue's been been frustrating and, and taking a long time. But hopefully, hopefully we're close to the end, and hopefully they listen and we get uh, the gallons back into the RFS and the integrity, you know, the t- integrity back in the program that we're looking for. We just heard Jeff Cooper say he thinks Andrew Wheeler and EPA, they're not doing what the president wants. Do you feel that way? Well, that's certainly what, uh, you know, what we've heard. And, and um, uh, you know, when the president says it out of his mouth that, uh, uh, you know, 15, I even heard him say 16 billion gallons when I was mm-hmm. out there in D.C. when he was talking about uh, at the at the uh, Japan agreement signing. Um you know, when he's talking like that, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's saying this publicly, the president is, and it seems like uh, there's a disconnect there between uh, between the president and Mr. Wheeler, and, and that's uh, uh, that's unfortunate. And I think, um, 
you know, to have that situation within the within the cabinet is uh, uh, it's difficult, and so we need to uh, we need to work through that. And we need to um, be telling Mister Wheeler that uh, we need him to listen to his boss. We're talking with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, uh, tell us about uh, harvest there in Iowa. How's it going? It uh, it's going slow. I'll tell you that. Where there's some beans coming out though. Uh, there's uh, you know early bean yields. Uh, some of the stuff I've heard they're kind of variable, but for the most part pretty good. Um, I can tell you that uh, the corn is wet though. There's a lot of a lot of corn that is you know if there's anything that's taken out. Uh, it's very, very little, and uh, we get got a lot of moisture to get out of there yet. So, um, you know, that, that harvest is a little bit behind. Uh, there's still some silage getting chopped, and I think uh, that's just about wrapping up. But once we get get that done, it's, you know, full steam ahead on uh, on everything else. So uh, these last this last week, a uh, nice dry weather, and what appears to be a pretty dry week next week should be really good to, to hopefully get a lot of things wrapped up and, uh, and get a good – good jump on uh get beans maybe wrapped up and get a good jump into corn kind of challenging for you isn't it uh harvest time but uh you've got a lot of other places you've got to be representing corn growers yeah i'm uh i'm actually up here in des moines today uh we've got some meetings set up uh with the uh one with meredith communications up here we've got uh some work with, with them that we're doing and then we've also got uh a lot of stuff with World Food Prize, so we've got a lot of different things we've got going on. Um, you know, we're we're working with a lot of different people on a lot of projects, and we're going to continue to do that. So, people working every day out there for the farmer, even though um, you know, even though they're that uh, they're in the combine, there's there's other people working for them. And one of these days, I'll get in my machine, though, Mike. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we'll get it running here too. All right. And in the meantime, you got to keep pushing on trade, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're uh, we're always talking about trade right now. You know, we sure sure want USMCA to get moved. I heard you, you know, you had John Linder on here earlier from Ohio, and uh, John did a great job talking about uh, USMCA and that importance. Um, we are very hopeful that this will get uh, will get brought up and and uh, get you know get done. Um, but uh, again, you know, things move slow out there in DC sometimes, far slower than we like, and. Uh, um, this is one of those things that we're going to have to, you know, again, from the combine, from the tractor, whatever, start making the calls and make sure people are uh, talking about USMCA. We just need to get this piece of uncertainty off the table. All right, Kevin, good to talk with you. Safe travels, and we hope you get done that combine soon, okay? Yeah, I hope so. I appreciate it, Mike. And everybody, uh, stay safe out there this fall, and uh, good luck on those yields. Great. Take care, Kevin. Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. That wraps it up for today. Much more coming tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have a great day, everyone. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. With Make-A-Wish, the impossible becomes possible. A girl battling cancer can become a race car driver battling the course. The boy showing all the nurses his fire trucks can take the helm of a real one. Wishes can give kids with critical illnesses the strength to keep fighting, get better, and grow up. Where there's a wish, there's a way. Wishes need you. 
Visit makeawish at wish.org. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. 